Welcome to the I Should Say podcast recorded on the 2nd of the 2nd of 2016. My name is George. This is the I Should Say podcast. Oh, glad I got the introduction out of the way. Um, so it's over a week now since I recorded another episode and I'm back. It's close to midnight, so it's probably not the best time to be recording one of these because my energy level is just not not what it was a few hours ago. And um, I could have recorded this a few hours ago, but I get distracted. So that's the way it is. I mean, I work all day, I come home, I end up spending too much time in front of the computer catching up on Facebook stuff and Twitter. And today was a special day. Today was the um, Democratic, uh, sorry, it was the, the caucuses in Iowa deciding uh, who the preferred candidates are for the Republican Party and the Democrats. So um, this year I'm very interested in the American election, the US election, and um, it was an interesting result. I was hoping that Bernie Sanders would be the clear winner for the Democrats, but uh, it ended up being Hillary Clinton by a very small margin. I think she had one delegate, she had one delegate over him, so uh, it was 25 to 6 or something like that, or maybe 21 to 22. Um, but from what I understand, because Hillary was the favorite, this is a loss for her because she shouldn't be tying with somebody who has, well, I assume that he has less resources than she does, but she's a lot more establishment and um, she has the media's backing or mainstream media who um, have been almost, well, not almost, but dismissive of Bernie Sanders, uh, who seems to have a lot of uh, grassroots support. Right? So his supporters are very enthusiastic. Um, his campaign has been financed by uh, private donations, which um, reminds me of uh, Barack Obama's 2008 election, or 2008 campaign for the election. And... Um, yeah, overall it was, um, look, it was a tie and he lost by a tiny margin, but I think, you know, the, there are a lot of positives for Bernie Sanders and his supporters because, um, you know, to, to equal Hillary Clinton uh, in this race is a big achievement for someone like Bernie Sanders. Um, like I said, the mainstream media seem to be supporting Hillary Clinton and dismissing him, so... Um, this kind of uh, raises the stakes and establishes him as a, someone that they can't ignore anymore. Right? Because in the past we've had you know, like large gatherings which the media completely dismiss. The media seemed fascinated with Donald Trump. I mean, even today's coverage of the uh, primaries, um, a lot of it was framed in the, you know, from the angle that Donald Trump did not win. And he actually came second, I believe. So it was Ted Cruz won by a big margin, um, then Trump, then um, Marco Rubio, right? Who Marco Rubio is portrayed as the um, Republican Party uh, establishment candidate. You know, he's um, he's seen as less less far right than the other candidates, right? And with Donald Trump and Ted Cruz, 
they're pretty far to the right, which um, is great for you know the base, you know, to use that term from um, George Bush's elections. You know, the base might be happy with the things they say about immigration, about you know, like being hawkish on on potential new wars, and you know that that tends to turn off mainstream voters or undecided voters, I guess. So someone like Marco Rubio could actually do a lot of good for the Republican Party, but unfortunately he's third, or at least he was third in Iowa. So let's see if that changes at all. I mean, um, you know, a lot of people would say that, well, I would say that Donald Trump is a liability. Right, he has a very vocal uh, base of supporters, right? But uh, for as many people as he attracts, he um, offends and detracts a lot of people, right? So he turns off as many people as he turns on, or at least a significant amount of people. I mean, you know, um, some look some of the things that he has been saying. In his campaign so far, are not so different to what the rest of the Republican Party have been saying for years. Um, I mean, he's pretty hawkish. Um, you know, he's anti-immigration. He actually took it a step further when he announced that he was hoping to become U.S. president. You know, when he made that that speech at a rally, saying um, that you know Mexican immigrants are mostly rapists and um, murderers and the worst of the worst and you know he, he added that some of them are okay but you know the the way that he was um, uh, the way that he was portraying a whole race of people you know a, a whole nationality of people who you know go to the US hoping to you know live their lives and make something of themselves. I mean, you know, there's a lot that's wrong with Mexico and I don't blame people for wanting to get out of there. Um, but, you know, just demonizing a whole class of people and, you know, that, that was pretty um, pretty out there, which, you know, galvanized a lot of people to support Donald Trump. Uh, but it wasn't so different to what a lot of Republican politicians have been saying for years. I mean, um, the Republican Party is not the pro-immigration party. It's not the inclusive party. It's you know it represents the views of one section of the U.S. population, but um, you know the U.S. population is a lot more varied, and um, you know the, 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 there are a lot more people than just the Republican voters. In the U.S. population, so um, look, the you could say the election officially started today. I mean, um, you know, all the different states will be picking who their preferred candidates are, and uh, at some point we'll have a clear winner, and we'll know who it is that is running for the Democratic Party and who it is that is running for the Republican Party, and you know, who knows? We might even have, you know, like um, candidates outside those two parties running as well. You know, which should be interesting. I mean, wouldn't it be great if we had Hillary and um, perhaps Rubio or Cruz, you know, running for the Democratic and the Republican Party, and um, people like Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump running as independents? I mean, 
that would be a real election, I think, because you know you can you can clearly divide the supporters of those four candidates. I think you can do it very clearly, um, and I think. Donald Trump's popularity could be offset by Bernie Sanders' popularity as well. I mean, Bernie Sanders does not have the uh, mainstream um, mainstream media support that Donald Trump seems to have, or at least the coverage that Donald Trump seems to have. But he has an active base, you know. So um, it'd be very interesting to pit the Democratic establishment versus the Republican establishment, and you know, the Trump supporters versus the Sanders supporters. I mean, I think that that would be a, that would be a very telling election about you know telling telling for the U.S. population's views. Um, you know, because you know it's it's a bit it's a bit meaningless when it's only between two people, you know, from two established major parties. Um, you know, even if if you're a democrat, you know, historically democratic voter, and the person that you don't support becomes the democratic candidate, I mean, you know, what does your vote say? I mean, are you expressing, are you expressing your beliefs in how the system should run? I mean, what if, you know, what if you're for um, healthcare for everybody? You know, free healthcare for everybody, which is a position that Bernie Sanders has taken, and um, Hillary becomes the Democratic candidate, and you know she basically she supports a system where people pay for their healthcare. I mean, they wouldn't pay as much as they would with what the Republicans are proposing, which is the abolition of, well, sorry, the um, repeal of Obamacare but anyway my point is you know if you're a Democrat supporter and you you know you want to vote for Bernie Sanders and Bernie Sanders does not become the Democratic candidate then what are your choices you either vote for a candidate who you're not very enthusiastic about who doesn't really reflect your views um, and and you know, you also have the option of voting for the opposition, which is the Republican Party. You know, who um, you're against on most points. I mean, I think a lot of people, you know, a lot of people vote for one party all their lives, or you know, like through a significant portion of their lives. You know, like Democratic voters will always vote for the Democrat no matter what. But I think elections should. You know, say something about the the mood of the country. You know, where people stand on certain things. I mean, you know, there are a lot of complicated issues that the uh, you know the world has to deal with, right? And uh, in order to become the mainstream party candidate, you know, you have to kind of like excuse me, simplify your views, or you have to kind of you know, not commit to to any one view or another. You know what I mean? It's like you know, you be, you become this uh, generic candidate. You know, and that leaves a lot of voter dissatisfaction because you know, if you're voting for your candidate just because 
he or she is in your party, um, you're not really um, you don't really feel like you make a meaningful change when you vote. You know, you're not you're not voting for your views. You know, you're not expressing your views with your vote. Okay. So um, anyway, look, I've been following all this stuff all day. It's, um, it was exciting because in Australia, it was around midday when we started seeing the results. I think, well, maybe maybe mid afternoon when uh, it was announced that Cruz was the the winner for the Republicans, and then in the hours that followed, it was you know it was clear that there was a tight race between Bernie and Hillary and. Um, in the last few hours, Hillary seems to have it. Okay, so um, so that's that's politics talk. Um, I'm sure there'll be more of it in the next few months. Um, so today, I um, in the morning, I decided I'm going to um, do this podcast recording a little bit different this time. So usually, I just start recording, I talk and talk and whatever comes to mind, I talk and you know before you know it, one hour has passed. So uh, I thought I'd try something different and actually bring a few topics with me this time. All right, so uh, I've got my um, I've got my iPhone here, and I've got the um, the email that I sent to myself. So I've got several topics here. Let's see what what is it that okay. So let me talk about someone who I hope will become a sponsor of this show sometime. Um, I'm joking, I don't think I'll ever have sponsors for this show, but um, I don't mind promoting businesses that I believe in, businesses that I'm very happy to be associated with as a customer. All right. So um, my uh, latest obsession is uh, a little food truck that I discovered within walking distance from my workplace called uh, Saul Cartel. All right, now Saul Cartel is in this area in Canberra called um, the Hamlet. All right, I was very happy to discover the Hamlet a few weeks ago. Uh, the Hamlet is this little area where you can find a congregation of food trucks, all right, a variety of food trucks. And um, you know, all the tables um, seem to be pulled from, I don't know, bits and pieces. It's like there seems to be a, a classroom desk. There seem to be like a few wooden tables there, and, you know, random random tables and chairs. So the whole thing has been, I don't know, I don't know who um, organized all that stuff, right? So um, it doesn't look like much when you look at it. But the food trucks they have there are so good. I mean, I discovered them a few weeks ago right and I found a Greek food truck in there right so a place called uh, Philos Yiros Philos Philos meaning friend right Philos is the Greek word for friend right so um, the Philos food truck uh, has Greek street food which is Yiros right now um, Yiros is um, it's a thick round bread, and in it you put. Well, you're supposed to put shavings of um, lamb or pork meat or chicken, and you also put in some tomatoes, some onion. Um, what else do you put in there? Um, 
they, they put chips, but I prefer it without chips. Um, and tzatziki, which is a Greek, um, it's a Greek sauce. It's made out of yogurt, cucumber, and garlic. All right, so gyros is a national dish. It's like you know, it's it, it's street food in Greece, right? But uh, the gyros is um, is something that is very hard to find in Canberra. Um, that's mainly because you know, Canberra is a pretty small town, so you know we don't have that many takeaways. But uh, in Brisbane, which is the town I I lived in before I moved here, um, there were a few places that claimed to make gyros, but they didn't really because they were using this flat pita bread which uh, is used for Lebanese kebabs. Right Now the gyros needs to have uh, thicker bread right? and uh, most places that, that make gyros don't use that bread. Right? So I was very happy to, to discover Philos gyros and um, I've, I've been having so many gyros in the weeks since I've discovered them. I'm, I'm just, I can't express how happy I am to have found them because um, this is something that I used to eat regularly in Greece when I was living there. Um, anytime I go back on holidays, I always enjoy having gyros. And um, it's not something that's easy to find. So, you know, for me to find it within walking distance from my workplace is great. You know, I feel like. I feel like my lunch options have expanded so much. I mean, I was getting sick of eating Indian takeaway, which is my go-to for lunch. Um, what's the alternative? Feeding chicken at Nando's. You know, it, I, I was getting sick of eating the same things in my lunch breaks, and then I discovered this Hamlet area, and um, even better, it's got a Greek food truck place in there. So. Um, okay, they can become a sponsor as well. All right, if I if I was to have sponsors, I would be sponsored by Philos. Um, I made a point after I found them. I made a point to go on the internet, search for them on Facebook, and um, you know, like the page and leave a comment in there saying how happy I was that I found them. I think you know, for a small business, something like that goes a long way. Um, because you look at most of these uh, food truck Facebook pages and they're posting most of the content themselves, you know, so it's nice to see some of that community feedback on there, you know, so I just wanted to encourage them a little bit. I'm very happy that I've found them and um, I hope they um, they stick around for a long time, you know. Um, but next to Philos Giros, there's uh, another food truck, right, and this one does Cajun food. Right now, I apologize to anyone who um, might be French or you know is um, is from New Orleans or has been to New Orleans. I probably butchered that word. It's uh, Cajun or Cajun, right? Um, C A J U N, right? So it's a cuisine that's popular in New Orleans. Um, I understand it's a variety of um, I don't know. It's it's a mix of Caribbean, French, uh, African. I don't know. It's it's a mix. It's it's a type of cuisine that ref and and Latin as well, um, South American. Um, it's a mix of all these you know cultures that have converged in New Orleans, um, but it's so different to all the other cuisines that I've tried. I mean, you know, the 
the mix of spices that they use in Cajun food is um, pretty unique and you know it's world famous and I hope one day that I I visit New Orleans um, I would love to go there with somebody and you know just uh, enjoy a few weeks of eating fine food and listening to jazz music and um, you know enjoying the sights and but mainly eating the fine food of New Orleans um, so anyway uh, this Soul Cartel does uh, Cajun street food, right? So um, one day I was going to get my gyros and I noticed that this new food truck was next to it. So um, I went in there, I went there and uh, I looked at the menu. It was, um, they had, they had um, I don't know if they call them buffalo wings. Yeah, I guess they call them chicken wings. So they had chicken wings, but I didn't just want to have chicken for lunch. So um, I got a box, right? A lunch box. So that was fried chicken uh, with a side of um, coleslaw salad, and I'm trying to think if there was anything else. I think that that might be it, right? So fried chicken with K with the coleslaw salad and blue cheese sauce on top. Right? They had a variety of sauces to choose from, but you know, um, I like blue cheese, and it was so good. It was so good. I had that on Friday, and man, that chicken was so good. I don't think I've eaten better tasting fried chicken than that. Uh, I used to think that KFC was pretty good. Back in the day, it was called Kentucky Fried Chicken. It was actually where I had my first job, you know, back in Brisbane. When I was still in school, I, I got a job in the... Um, Kentucky Fried Chicken, and I had my first work-related injury there. Um, yeah, I actually had hot oil poured on my hand. Um, the skin ballooned, you know, and um, I was taken to the hospital. And um, then, you know, they had they had to take all the liquid out of my fingers, which had ballooned uh, from all the heat, um, and I couldn't use my hand for writing for maybe two or three months. So I had to write my schoolwork with my left hand, which um, back in the day before computers, that wasn't easy. Um, and I didn't get any compensation for it. I think, you know, I don't know, maybe I've discussed this on the podcast before, but um, for some reason, we didn't pursue any legal action. I mean, I got paid, I think, you know, for the time that I did I think, you know, the three and a half hours that I worked that night, I think I got paid for that, but that was it. So um, I don't I don't really understand why my parents didn't um, pursue legal action and, you know, get proper compensation for this because it actually affected my schoolwork. Um, I don't know, maybe they were dealing with some other problems um, between themselves and this would have been too much of a diversion. Um, I don't know, it's, it doesn't really matter, but Anyway, look, I used to think that KFC chicken was pretty good. Um, and I used to eat it a lot. Uh, then, you know, I turned vegetarian for a few years, so I didn't touch that. And then every time I've gone back to KFC, it's even more of a disappointment than the last time. You know, so I'll, I like the idea of KFC, but the reality of it is very different. Um, I don't know, maybe it's just been bad luck and I've been getting the chicken at the wrong time of the day. But anyway, I used to think that was pretty good fried chicken. And um, 
you know, I've tried a few alternatives here, here and there for fried chicken, and you know, it's never been that special. But man, Soul Cartel have it all figured out, right? Because their fried chicken is so delicious. Um, I cannot recommend it highly enough. Um, if you're ever in Canberra, um, look it out. Look out for it. Um, it's in an area called Braddon, the Hamlet. Look for Soul, Cal Soul Cartel. Right, so it was so good. I mean, I went to lunch that day. I went with a friend from work, and um, we both had the chicken, and you know, he loved it as well. Um, and when we when we went back to work, I told him nothing. I'm in trouble. You know, I like this chicken too much. I, um, I might have to get a whole new wardrobe. I might have to throw away my belt and buy a bigger one because uh, I love this chicken. It's so good, so good. And even the coleslaw salad was really nice. I mean. I don't have anything against coleslaw, but it went so well with that chicken and the blue cheese sauce. Oh man, oh man. So, um, so that day, I went back uh, after I finished work. I actually went. I walked to um, the hamlet and uh, actually got another another box from them. Um, this time I had the fish. Right, and the fish was pretty good as well. It was grilled fish. It had some spices on it, I don't know what, but it was nothing, nothing that I didn't like. So um, that was good. You know, the fish came with um, curly fries and and two two pieces of corn as well. So that was pretty good. I really enjoyed the fish as well. But man, that chicken was something special. So um, I guess you know, if you're in the U.S. and you're lucky enough to, you know, have a Cajun place. And I really apologize for butchering the um, the way that you know I pronounce that word. But um, you know, if if you have a Cajun place that you can go to for your meals, um, you're really fortunate, you know. Because if it's anything as good as this Soul Cartel place, then um, I envy you. I envy you. And if you live in New Orleans, even better. I mean, you get to eat some of the best food in the world. Um, and yeah, this this is something that. I don't know, it's like, haven't you ever found, you know, a new place to eat that, you know, you just get obsessed by, you know, and so, I mean, uh, there was a Japanese takeaway place that, that I used to love going to in, in Brisbane for my lunch, um, they, um, what did they do over there that was really nice, they made the udon, uh, tempura udon noodle soup, which was really nice, so I love having that then. I think they had like a, yeah yeah they had like a vegetarian curry, which was really nice as well. Um, so I remember you know like going there and eating almost every lunch break. I mean um, you know the the staff were pretty friendly as well. You know, um, actually, on a side note, I remember going to that place after the um, remember the um, the tsunami that they had. Uh, I think it might have been 2000 and maybe 2010 or 2011 there was this tsunami that hit Japan um, the, was it the Fukushima power plant was um, you know that that's when that was flooded and you know there was an explosion there and all that trouble happened um, and I remember having a chat with one of the staff there and his grandmother actually drowned in that tsunami so it was very sad I mean yeah, you know it's, man. I I 
I've been fortunate in life. I haven't been affected by any disasters like that. I mean, yeah. Imagine that. Imagine that. Like somebody that you love, you know, gets taken by the water. There's nothing you can do about it when you're overseas and you hear that news and it must be devastating. Um, so, yeah, sorry, that's that's a depressing note. Yeah, but yeah, I felt bad for the guy who yeah, he was here studying and yeah, yeah very sad. So um, yeah, this this Japanese takeaway place, I loved it. Um, and I used to love going there for lunch. And then I remember um, finding this pizza place that was actually I found two pizza places that were near my place. And I was renting an apartment a few years ago in Brisbane, and um, in that suburb there were two amazing takeaway pizza places. One was one was a restaurant that also did takeaway, so they did gourmet pizzas, and the other one was a family pizza takeaway business. So um, quite different, you know, because the the family business was all about, you know, like the. No, I wouldn't say it was about the volume of, the um, the toppings on the pizza, but it was a heavier pizza overall. Like they gave you good value. Um, and I love them because they had this um, this Godfather pizza, which was great. It was great. It was um, I don't think the Godfather had any meat in it, and that was vegetarian while I was. Or staying in that apartment, so um, yeah, I love the vegetarian options. They were so good. Um, I love the fact that it was a family-owned business, and you could see like I think it was the two brothers. They would have been in the sixties, working in the shop, and um, then they had you know a few family members working in there as well, like you know the younger generations, and uh, I just love that about them. You know, you get a good. No, you you get a good sense from supporting a business like that because you know the, those people in, invest a lot into it, and you know the money that you pay them go to raising their families. I mean, you know, paying their bills, raising their families. You're not giving money to a faceless corporation. You know, you you're giving money to real people. You know, who who are invested and who care about the business and who want to see it succeed. And you know, I want to see it succeed. So. Um, they were amazing. They were amazing. I, I used to love getting those pizzas on the weekends, and yeah, um, just sorry that I had no one to share them with, you know. But but those were really amazing pizzas. Um, so I remember finding them and being very passionate about supporting them and having those pizzas. Um, and then this other place, the gourmet pizza place, they um, they used you know like fancy ingredients like. Um, what are they called? Moray bugs, you know, they're kind of like uh, not they're not prawns, they're larger than prawns and um, smaller than lobsters, but it's kind of like a lobster kind of meat that they put on their seafood pizza. Um, you know, they, they have things like truffle oil for some pizzas. Um, but I remember there they had a French pizza, like a French theme pizza, and it had I think slices of ham. And um, it also had artichoke, which was the first time that I ate a pizza that had artichoke on it, and it went so well. I mean, the, they were very sparse with the ingredients ingredients that they put on their pizzas, but it was just the right amount. I mean, you know, there was a lot of flavor in what they put there, and the pizza bases were really thin. But I don't know, it was like 
you know, there, there was a lot of thought into putting in the just the right mix of ingredients and not too much of anything, and it was a beautiful taste. It was a very sophisticated taste for a pizza. So I loved supporting them as well. I think it was um, it was owned and run by one guy. Um, his name might have been Peter, right? So, um, oh, which is meaningless because I haven't said the name of the business. So the family-owned business was uh, Pizza Land, right? Whom I would be glad to have as sponsors. I'm, I don't mind, you know, giving them a, a bit of a plug. Um, and the other one. I think it was called, uh, what was the other one called? Uh, all right, so it was Pizza Land and Piccolo. Yeah, Piccolo Pizza. Piccolo, like the, um, it's a little flute. I think it's the Italian, I think it's an Italian word for a tiny little flute. Um, Piccolo Pizza in Brisbane. So if you're in Brisbane on the, I think it's the eastern side of Brisbane. Um, Piccolo Pizza is on Old Cleveland Road. What am I talking about? I've looked. I've looked at the stats. Uh, rarely does anyone from Australia listen to this podcast, and if they do, it could be from anywhere around Australia. So it's probably meaningless. But anyway, let me put in a good word for Piccolo Pizza and for Pizza Land. Right, the um, two greatest places to get pizza in Brisbane. Right, so if you're ever in, in Brisbane, Australia, seek them out. You will not be disappointed. Um, those are businesses worth supporting, and uh, I wish them success. And I hope that they they're still around the next time I go to Brisbane. Um, see, the problem for me is I go back to Brisbane for the holidays, but everyone is closed at that time. So. You know, as much as I love Pizza Land's pizzas, um, whenever I go there for Christmas, they're closed for the Christmas season. And I understand that. You know, they're a family-owned business. They probably, you know, well, they, they work hard all year. So they probably want to take some time off and um, enjoy each other's company, you know, and then go to places, probably go to the Gold Coast or the Sunshine Coast. And, you know, I, I really respect that, you know, that, that, yeah, they actually close the business. It's not about making money in the holidays. It's all about enjoying the Christmas spirit. So um, that only makes me want to support them even more. Um, and um, I will be going back to Brisbane. I, I will actually be going in uh, mid-April. Mid-April. I will be going because... Um, the last week of April will be Orthodox Easter. I'm Orthodox, so um, uh, I will be heading up to Brisbane in my fancy new car, and um, I will be enjoying some Pizza Land pizza. Actually, now that I think about it, I'm supposed to be fasting. So um, maybe, well, look, when I say I'm, I'm Orthodox, right, I'm, I'm Greek Orthodox. Yeah, I'm not the most orthodox Greek Orthodox believer. You know, it's, I mean, um, you know, uh, I should be doing a lot of fasting. You know, if I were, you know, a hundred percent orthodox. I mean, I am a hundred percent orthodox. There's no doubt about that. But you know, you know, as part of the religion, you're supposed to, you know, not eat certain foods on certain days of the year. You know, I mean. 
in the lead up to Easter, it's supposed to be 40 days of fasting, right? So, um, um, you know, I don't do that. Um, I, I think I did that one year, I think for 40 days I didn't eat any meat, uh, didn't, I think I drank, oh, maybe I gave up milk as well. But for, I remember one year I did it properly. Right? But since then I've been a little bit more liberal right, with my orthodoxy. So um, yeah, maybe maybe I will fast, you know, the, on the week of Easter. Not, I mean, this is all terrible. You, you know what? The, this recording will probably be used in a court of God when I'm gone. All right, I'll go up to heaven. Like I'll try to get into heaven. All right, Saint Peter will be at the gate. He'll say, um, uh, "Okay, I've got this uh, episode." Um, Two zero one six zero two zero two of the I should say podcast, and let's fast forward to about thirty seven minutes into it, all right? And uh, let's hear what you have to say, all right? So, um, yeah, yeah, that that could actually backfire. I mean, look, I'm trying my best, right? I was not raised in an overly religious house. I mean, you know, I think on average Greeks are religious, right? And you know, if you read about Byzantine history, uh, it will make a lot of sense why Greeks are, you know, so ingrained with their religion. Uh, so you know, of course, you know, if you live in a society that's primarily one culture, like Greece was, um, and I use that term on purpose, was, I use the past tense on purpose, um, then you know, like, you know, it, it's not. It's not hard to imagine that you know everyone would be celebrating the same religious holiday on the same day. You know, it's um, it's what people do. You know, it's it's how communities are formed and how cultures thrive. You know, you all have the same religion, and you know you all celebrate together and keep it going for a few generations, more more generations. Um, so you know we were as religious as you know most other middle class Greeks were, but. Uh, not not as religious as some of the other people I've met in my religion, you know. So you know, I've met people who have gone on to become priests and in churches, and I've met people who, um, you know, um, well, I've got a lot of family members in Greece who do the cross every time they drive past the church. Right? And let me tell you, in in Greece there are churches everywhere, uh, especially on the island where I'm from. I guess the rest of the Greek islands have the same. Uh, there are churches everywhere, man. It's like, you know, every block seems to have some kind of religious, oh, excuse me, either a church or or like a little monument. Um, and so, you know, I mean, I remember my cousin driving, driving me around the island, um, you know, he was constantly doing the cross. Yeah, so, um, I don't know. I, I hope that there's not a high rate of accidents, you know, by people who um, do the cross the moment that you know somebody's crossing the street or another driver is you know going into their lane or whatever. I mean, uh, I'll, I'll give Greek drivers credit for multitasking behind the wheel, right? Because um, you know it's a different pace over there, especially on the roads. It's a different pace. It's a different mentality. I mean, you know, when a timid driver from Australia like myself goes over there, you know, at first it's very impressive how, you know, 
all of these cars everywhere and you know people are constantly beeping at one another and yelling at one another um, so it sounds it sounds a little bit chaotic but you know to the Greeks it's just the way that everyone drives you know and people Greeks are very expressive people especially in their language you know like if they're native speakers they can express themselves with like a lot of European a lot of Mediterranean people they express themselves with a passion that is so genuine when it comes out of their mouth in the native language right now I don't have that I was uh, raised in Greece until 10 years old and then we moved to Australia which is my mother's homeland so um, yeah I don't have that I don't have that that passion of expression you know like I mean when when I talk to when when I used to talk to my parents back when my dad was still alive um, you know it was always like well with my dad it was mostly in Greek right but with my mom it was like half Greek half English um, you know but but you know when when I wanted to express myself I, I always kind of hesitated a little bit because it didn't come out of me naturally it's like I wasn't a native Australian speaker sorry I wasn't a native English speaker I wasn't a native Greek speaker it was like I'm um, you know like a lot of people who a lot of people who move from one country to another especially at a young age it's like this there's always this I don't know internal I don't want to call it a conflict but they're two different forces you know and um, they both form my identity but you know as for you know which language do I feel more comfortable in I would say English now but I find it incredibly frustrating sometimes when I try to express myself to somebody and all they're hearing is my accent and I can't be understood you know so of course there's a lot I could do to make myself better understood but you know my point is I, I can't say that you know I'm a hundred percent one thing or another because you know I um, there's some things that I can say in Greek and some things that I can say in English and uh, I'm not um, completely fluent speaker on either one of those uh, as is evident by this recording so um, how did I go into that? oh yeah yeah so Greek driving all right so um, yeah it looks a little bit chaotic at first but you know it's normal over there and I think it's the same with uh, a lot of the Mediterranean countries you know like Italian drivers are similar and I imagine the Spanish are the same as well and the Portuguese um, and you know if, if you go to any Asian country I think it's you know even even not worse but you know even more intense than that when I mean, um, you know they this uh, I don't call who it was that said it. Maybe it was um, a comedian that was interviewed on. Maybe it was the Joe Rogan experience, but someone made a point of, you know, in in Western nations, right, like Australia and the U.S., um, the attitude of people on the road seems to be, you know, all right, there's a traffic light. The law says I should stop at red lights, and I should wait for the light to turn green, and then I should proceed, right in uh, a lot of Asian countries it's it's a little different it's more like the intent of the driver is what what keeps them what motivates them to drive one way or another so it's all about getting to a destination rather than following 
instructions to get to a destination. Right? So that's why when, when Westerners go to Asian countries, like if, if a Westerner goes to Bangkok for the first time, right, they would be shocked by the flow of traffic, how, you know, like everyone seems to be just, you know, uh, milliseconds or centimeters away from disaster on the road. And yet, you know, the traffic keeps flowing and, you know, most of the time people get where they intend to go, right? Uh, they just come very close to death while doing so. But it's more about the, uh, you know, I think drivers in those places are more tuned in to the flow of traffic around them. So it's kind of like a swarm of cars, swarm, S-W-A-R-M. Um, it's all about the swarm moving in a certain direction with a certain energy, you know? So I think Asian drivers might be more in tune with their surroundings and the surrounding cars, and you know, they, they can blend into that a lot easier than an outsider would. So um, yeah, you know, it's, it's like that there. So how did I get into, you know, I was talking about people doing the, oh yeah, yeah, so I was talking about religion. So um, yeah, I will be going up to Brisbane. I, um, uh, who am I kidding? I'm going to have some pizza. I'm going to have some um, pizza land pizza, which is always closed whenever I go there. So um, yeah, that's what I will be doing when I go back up there in mid-April for Orthodox Easter. All right, excuse me, I'm just going to take a drink, today's drink. On the podcast is uh, coconut and almond milk. Mm. I'm not even going to pretend that's delicious. Um, it's very chalky. Um, so why am I drinking it if it's chalky and it's not delicious? Um, it's because I didn't do my grocery shopping on the weekend and I keep almond milk as a backup in case I run out of milk in the week. So um, yeah, that's that's my backup. Right. So um, yes, Pizza Land and uh, Piccolo Pizza and that Japanese takeaway whose name I can't remember right now. And um, Soul Cartel have been my food obsessions. Soul Cartel is the most recent one. Um, actually, went to the Hamlet today to have more Soul Cartel food, but unfortunately they were closed. But their loss is uh, Philos gain because Philos was open. So I had myself a gyro. Um, and I think because it was, you know, late lunchtime, I think it was two o'clock when I had my lunch or maybe 1.30, um, they, they put a little bit more meat than I wanted in the gyro. So, you know, I was kind of eating so much pork today. Um, but yeah, anyway, look, uh, Philos and uh, Soul Cartel are my new favorite lunch options. Um, I feel bad that they're next to each other because, you know, uh, there are not that many Greeks in Canberra. I mean, it's a pretty small population in Canberra. I think maybe, uh, is it 100,000 or maybe 200,000 people living here? But it's relatively small, right, as far as um, major cities in Australia go. Um, so, um, yeah, you know, like I like to support a Greek business. They seem like nice people running it. Um, I think I have worked with um, I have worked with a few of them in during the multicultural festival uh, in Canberra. We have a multicultural festival that that is taking place this year from the twelfth of February. So that's not this weekend, the following one. And uh, for the past 
two years I have volunteered to work in the Greek stall. Right, the multicultural festival is, uh, takes place in the central business district of Canberra and um, basically the whole mall gets taken over by all these different nationalities, food stalls and you know little little stalls um, um, promoting you know the, their nation's cultures. Um, it's really nice and the music stages everywhere and you hear all these um, world music. Um, it's really nice. Um, I will be I will actually be moving apartments on that weekend so I hope that I can actually find the time to to go there I mean if if uh, my move goes you know if my move is complete on the Saturday I could still go on the Sunday um, but yeah yeah so the past two multicultural festivals I volunteered so basically I would go there and work in the Greek food stalls and um, you know serve people fried food you know um, so um, I remember one of the guys from Philos is was actually running one of the food stalls or he seemed to be in charge you know he was pretty enthusiastic he was you know like um, putting on Greek music and dancing along to it and yelling at everyone to work harder I mean you know everyone was everyone's a volunteer and you know in the, uh, the food stalls so um, yeah people were having fun I mean you know I say that he was yelling at people it's the Greek way you know it's like we we're expressive people right? it might sound aggressive to an outsider when you know one Greek is yelling at another but you know it's just the way that we are you know um, so um, you know that's, that's I think you know Spanish-speaking people are like that as well right I mean um, from what I've heard from you know like Cuban comedians on the Joe Rogan experience and you know um, other Latino comedians you know it's a, they're very expressive people and so are we you know it's um, I don't know what it is I don't know what it is maybe it's the language maybe our languages I mean it's it's the same with um, you know like in Southeast Asian nations you know people are very expressive as well I mean if you hear some uh, if you hear Thai people talking to each other in their languages or even Chinese people talking with one, or even Japanese people, right? Japanese people having conversations. I mean, it can sound a little bit aggressive, like it sounds like a fight, but it's not. You know, it's just people are expressive. It's just English speakers who are who are very. I don't know. English is a very well. There's a lot of subtlety to English, you know, so you can express yourself very well with a sophisticated vocabulary but at least in you know in the middle classes in you know like in more educated circles no one seems to say what they mean you know it's always like you know you've got to read in between the lines of what people are saying I mean you know if someone is um, offended at you and you know they, they, they will well, they can insult you to your face and do it in a very polite manner. You know, uh, that's what English is like. Um, I'm not saying that you know you can't say something that's a little bit underhand, like an underhand compliment in Greek or Spanish or whatever. But yeah, you know, it just seems to be the um, the English speaking way. You know, I mean, Americans are notorious for being loud and brushful. You know, but I don't know. I think it's all relative. I mean, you know. 
like to to the English Americans might sound very loud and obnoxious sometimes especially if it's you know like a tourist situation and I know that's a stereotype and you know America is a big country and there are all kinds of people living there but you know I'm talking about the um, loud obnoxious tourists yeah um, so you know that that can sound loud and obnoxious you know when people speak American English yeah and someone who is from a Commonwealth country hears it but you know it's all relative isn't it I mean but but you know overall I think Greek sounds more aggressive and expressive anyway anyway so so that's that so Sol Cartel and Philos yeah, two great places to go and have my lunch and I'm just so happy that I found both of them uh, and I can't wait to have Soul Cartel's chicken again because oh man it's so delicious and so can you tell that I'm very passionate about this I'm very passionate about this fried chicken because it doesn't taste like any other fried chicken I've ever had before right and the blue cheese sauce oh so good such a good combination you know the guys working behind the, the counter or working in the food cartel it's like most of them are pretty big guys with beards yeah so you know you can tell you can look at those guys and feel confident about getting food from that place because they look like they love their food right and I don't mean that as a slight I don't I'm not I'm not trying to insult them or or you know like make fun of them it's just that there's something about those guys. I look at them, all right, and I can tell that they're passionate about what they do. All right, and you know, when you meet someone like that, it's like, I don't know, personally, I love people like that. When I find people who are passionate about what they do, who care about their work, I mean, physically, those guys look like they love what they do. And I don't know if it's I don't know if they own the business or if they're working for somebody, but um, man, you know I can't wait to go back there. I mean that that's such a great place. Um, and if you're ever in, in Canberra, seek them out. Seek them out. So um, it's about one hour now. I wonder if I should record a two-hour podcast. I can I can go on like this because man, once I started talking about this soul cartel, it's like I don't know. I feel reinvigorated. I feel like life is good you know it's like you find something that you enjoy and it makes waking up in the morning so much easier it's like it's like life is good you know when you find things that you enjoy that you're passionate about it makes living worthwhile I can't say that I always feel that way I mean I've had my moments you know I'm, I've been living alone since I moved out of home right? and I moved out of home pretty late so you know, I don't have big social circles. I don't, I don't date. Um, so you know, I'm, I live a pretty lonely existence. So when I find something that, that I enjoy, like it brings so much happiness into my life, um, and you know, finding a good place to eat is so vital. I mean, you know, it makes me look forward to going to work just so that I can go on my lunch break and have that food. Uh, so okay that's one thing off the list um, I'm going to go you know all right since this was the last thing on the list I'm going to go um, up the list all right so the next thing on my list and 
I realize that there's no segue here, um, so it might sound a bit forced, but okay, all right, right. Never mind that. All right, I apologize for misdirecting you there. I'm going to talk about the bus, right? So this morning I saw something very sad, right? But I think it's worth talking about just to give you an idea of. I don't know, maybe. I don't know. It's just something that left an impression on me. So this morning, I was in my suit. I was meant to meet, you know, the the new, the new boss of you know the uh, department that I work for. Right. So, um, I was really, you know, I was meant to meet someone very important at my job. Right. And um, you know, I was in my, I was in my suit. I wear a suit to work every day, but this time I had my suit. I had my little handkerchief neatly folded in my my pocket on my suit jacket. Um, I had a nice tie on, a nice shirt, you know. So I was looking pretty good, and I had my new fedora as well, which perfectly matches this suit. All right, so I was looking pretty spiffy. Um, so there I am, you know, looking sharp. I use public transport, so I was walking to my bus stop, and um, I got there, and there was there was this couple there. Right now, right, this couple were lower class people. Right, they were, you know, in in Australia we call people like them boggins. Right, uh, boggins are kind of like, you know, what what is called in America white trash. You know, but Australia has its own flavor of that. So we've got boggins. So boggins are very rough people. Um, they're very loud, obnoxious people. They um, yeah, they 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 have a certain um, a certain way of speaking English. It's like it's it's uniquely Australian, but you know uh, they swear a lot. They um, tend to uh, get very uh, aggressive around people. Right now, in the past, I've gone to that bus stop. There was a bug in there. Um, some guy. Um, I saw the bus approaching. I put my hand out to call the bus. He was standing. A few meters away from from me, all right, to my to my left, and the bus was approaching from the right. In Australia, we we drive on the left side of the road, so all right. So the bus is approaching. I put my hand out, all right, and he gets offended. He says to me, um, "Are you all right, mate?" You know, like like the bus was going to stop where I was instead of stopping for him, right? So that's the kind of people we're dealing with here, right? That's, you know, for him, that was an insult to him, like me sticking out my hand just because he was a little bit further up, right? He assumed that I was ignoring him and trying to take the bus away from him, like the bus driver would stop in front of me because I was looking sharp and not in front of him because he was a lesser human being, right? So that's the kind of level of insecurity that some people have, right? So, um, oh, by the way, I didn't pussy out that day. I mean, you know, um, I turned to the guy and said, uh, yeah, I'm all right, why are you asking? You know, and he didn't say anything. Yeah, but it was a risk because, you know, people like that are a little bit unhinged, but sometimes they need to be put in their place and, yeah, I mean, it's probably inadvisable. That's those are the kind of people who are likely to um, get aggressive with you. And I've had a few situations on buses with bogans before, 
Um, it's the way it is with public transport, you're going to run into those people. Um, unfortunately, Australia does not have a class system, so it's kind of like, you know, uh, the classes, or at least the middle classes and the lower classes, are pretty integrated together, so unfortunately, you know, you, know, you, you have to deal with those people, especially if you share the same spaces with them. Um, but anyway, back to this couple. So there was this Bogan couple, the guy was in his um, what we call tracky decks, so um, basically um, gym pants, I guess you would call them. And he was wearing a hoodie that you know he um, actually okay. All right, let me go back. Let me go back a little bit. So all right, so that couple is there. I approach the bus stop, and two people are seated there. It's a bogan couple. Um, you know, so the guy's in his tracky decks. Um, He's got like a neck tattoo as well, you know, he's a little bit unshaven, but you can just tell by, I don't know, the body language of this guy that, you know, he was to be avoided. I was not going to sit next to this guy, right? Um, you know, his posture, it was like, you can just tell by looking at some people that, you know, you just have to stay away from those people and not engage them in any, any way, right? Because those people are unhinged, right? And um, later on, I saw how unhinged he was. So him, Next to his woman, who was, you know, I don't know, who looked pretty sad, you know, like a sad human being. It's like someone who, basically, I don't know if she went down the wrong path or she was on it all her life, but, you know, just someone who just looked depressing to be around. Like, I don't know, something was up with her, but, you know, just a very plain person with sadness in her eyes, right? Um, so, anyway, they're seated there. I stand next to the bus stop, I see these kids approaching, these teenagers, um, some, guy in, some guy in cargo pants wearing a hoodie, um, approaching with his girlfriend who had purple hair, right? So, um, okay, so, you know, I see them approaching, and, you know, and they, they walk past me, I think they, they go and stand on the other side of the bus, now, um, of the bus stop. Right. Now, the bus arrives, right? So um, I'm first in line, I get in the bus, swipe my card, take my seat, that's it. Then the bogan couple try to get on, right? And the guy doesn't have a ticket. Right? So you can, you can, on Australian buses, you can buy a ticket, you know, and, um, you know, it could be a two-way ticket, you know, you just show the bus driver the ticket, and, yeah, he lets you on the bus. But this guy must have tried to use a, like an old ticket, right? And the bus driver caught it, right? And um, the bus, you know, the, the guy objected, you know, the, the bogan guy objected. And, and the bus driver told him, look, you do this every time. I'm not laying you on, right? Then that, that bogan guy, right, starts whinging, right? That's, that's, you know, Americans and English speakers understand whinging, right? So the guy starts whinging. He goes like, oh, but we've got to, we've got to go to court and I don't have any money. Yeah. He starts, I don't know if he was crying, but, you know, almost like stamping his feet, you know, acting like a little boy, you know, at the supermarket, whose mom told him that he can't have the... Uh, you know, the Cocoa Pops or whatever he wanted, right? So he starts, you know, acting up, right? And I'm talking about a grown man. So while this guy is acting up, 
I'm talking about a grown man who's maybe in, maybe in his, I don't know if mid twenties, but a druggy mid twenties. Like you know, he's got that look of someone who has been, you know, drinking too much all his life, and you know, is a little bit malnourished. Like you know, he's got this skinny kind of, you know, skinny and muscular at the same time. You know, those those like like homeless people, you know, that that kind of physique. He's got all these tattoos as well, and he's, you can tell, you know, he has been outdoors most most of his life because he's sunburned. But this guy is acting like that, right? A grown man acting like that, right? With his woman next, you know, nearby, you know, who probably doesn't have any money as well for the bus as well, and, and apparently they have to go to court, right? So he didn't plan that very well. Um, so he's acting like that on the street. He actually sits on the ground and starts, you know, like, uh, I don't know if he was crying for real, but, you know, whimpering, right? And, you know, being really loud and, you know, saying, oh, it's not fair, it's not fair, I don't know what to do, you know, he's, oh, it's completely pathetic, all right? So he's acting like that, and then the two teenagers get on board, all right? And, of course, they're struggling to find, you know, like the... The change to pay for their tickets while this maniac behind them is acting like that right acting up like a grown man crying right saying that life is not fair because he has to go to court and they don't have money to buy tickets to go to court right so I'm looking at the teenagers and man they're struggling they're really struggling to find that cash you know which made the whole thing so much worse you know because I just wanted to get away from this maniac that was acting like a little brat outside, right? This grown man who was acting like a boy, right? And whimpering. And I just wanted the bus to close the doors and just move away from him, right? And then there are these two teenagers and they don't have their shit together, you know? They're struggling to find the exact change to pay for their tickets. So man, that was like, I, I was, you know, I was just watching them so intently, like almost like, ah man, yeah, some people, it's like some people just don't have their shit together. So that maniac, that bogan with his woman going to court apparently, right, he didn't have his shit together because he didn't plan his trip at all. So I don't know if he spent his money on McDonald's or beers or whatever the night before but he should have saved some cash to buy tickets to go to court if he was indeed going to court right and then when the drive you know not not try to trick the driver into letting him on board with an old ticket right but then to act like that that was so pathetic absolutely pathetic and those are the kind of people i have to share the bus with you know so um yeah, but, but those teenagers, they, they're the ones that piss me off more than anyone, you know, because them fumbling for the right cash increased the possibility of that other guy freaking out and attacking the driver and doing God knows what, All right? But at that time, that's when you want someone, you know, who just has, you know, who just has everything organized, keeps their calm, doesn't freak out like those teenagers like getting nervous next to this maniac who was on the ground whimpering just a few meters away from them 
Oh man, that that was so incredibly sad to see this morning. Like a grown man acting that way. Yeah, I just hope that there are no children involved. I mean, it's probably that, isn't it? I think I think I saw the same guy on the bus a few weeks ago, and he stank of weed. Right, like I could smell the weed on him. Right, so this is in the morning, around ten o'clock in the morning. Yeah, he got on a bus with weed. Like I could I could just smell on him. It's like I just walked past him and I could smell it. Right, so um, man, what a pathetic human being. You know, like, how do some people get to that stage? I mean, doesn't anyone intervene? Doesn't anyone say, hey man, you know, you're a grown man. You know, you can't act this way. You know, like, I don't know, like, I don't understand some people, and I'm very lucky. I guess I'm very fortunate that, you know, I didn't grow up in the circumstances that would make it possible for me to turn into somebody like that. But that was so pathetic to see a grown man whimpering, right? Because the bus driver wouldn't let him on the bus for free because he didn't have enough cash to pay for a ticket. That's so pathetic. I mean, and here I am, you know, there, there I was in my, my spiffy suit and, um, you know, like I'm sure I would have been the first guy that that guy would have jumped on. <laughs> Like um, I don't know, maybe I was the at that moment I was the antithesis of whatever that human being was. But man, ah, oh, so incredibly sad to see that that kind of that level of pathetic on display. Yeah, and to act that way in front of his woman as well. Like I don't know, maybe maybe a few years ago when I was a little bit less. Um, I don't know. I don't want to say experience, but less self-aware. Right? Maybe a few years ago, the way I would interpret that would be, you know, well, this guy gets to, this guy gets to have a girlfriend. You know, there she is. It's like, all right, she's not much to look at. Right? I wouldn't want her, but this guy gets to have a girlfriend, and I don't. How does that make sense? It's like, how does someone like that get with somebody and I can't meet anyone? So, yeah, but nowadays it's like, you know, I look at that. I don't know. Like, I, I wouldn't want to be with someone who would be with someone like him. You know, I mean, you've got to have really low self-esteem. You, I don't know, your, your parents must have failed in some fundamental way to make you into a person like that yeah and even worse to make you into a person who would accept a person like that into your life um i can't get over how pathetic that was you know to see a grown man acting that way yeah acting like a little boy yeah so think about this he has tattoos Right, so he probably considered himself mature enough to go and get tattoos on his neck, but he can't even cope with, you know, getting to court on time because he doesn't have 
enough money for a bus ticket. Wow. I'd... Yeah, some people might as well be aliens. I mean, let me let me let me say something about that. I feel like an alien sometimes. You know, I feel like like I look at the people around me and sometimes sometimes, you know, I come across people like that and I can't relate to them. I can't relate to someone whimpering like a little boy. Just a few meters away from his woman as well. Like that's so pathetic. So that makes me feel well, that's a human being, right? I mean, that guy is a human being, right? She's a human being. I can't relate to people like that. I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm from a privileged background and I've never known that kind of desperation or sense of loss or whatever. I don't know. It's, but it makes me feel like maybe I'm the alien, you know, maybe. You know, me having my shit together like this, you know, you know, finding a job that, that, you know, pays enough for the lifestyle that I want and, you know, dressing myself in suits and buying a fedora and, you know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's hard to relate to the people around me sometimes. I mean, I look at, I don't know, I look at people nowadays on the street and like I see people wearing shorts, you know. I can't relate to those people. It's like, how do you, I ask myself, how do you do that? What, how do you put on shorts, you know, to go out into the world? I mean, you know, don't you care about how you look and how other people see you? Don't you have that, that self-awareness? Like, especially people working in the office, you know, like people with shorts. I mean, that's, that's very unusual to see, but you know, it's hard to relate to people sometimes and you know when when you see humanity at its most pathetic like I did today it just makes me feel so much more alienated from the rest of society because I can't see myself acting that way you know so I don't know maybe you know it makes me feel like maybe I'm not an alien, but maybe the result of some kind of alien experiment. Like, you know, the aliens have been abducting people and stealing the eggs or whatever, and, you know, creating their own versions of a hybrid human being. And maybe I'm the result of that. Maybe I'm, you know, some kind of alien experiment where they try to create a human being, but, you know, they got about 98% of the way there, but, you know, that 2% makes all the difference. So um, that two percent is, you know, all the reason why I can't, I, know, I can't meet anyone to be with, you know. Like I, I don't have as many friends as other people. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, a hundred percent confident in social situations, and I don't seem to make as many friends as other people do, and I don't have as many connections as other people do, and like that two percent is what you know, basically separates me and the rest of humanity, you know, maybe that's because the aliens haven't figured out how to complete that, that sequence that makes me a hundred percent. Yeah, just, just a feeling, you know, <laughs> just a feeling, you know, maybe we're all the result of alien experimentation. I mean, 
just to sidetrack a little bit here, uh, the, these things called uh, water bears, right? They're tiny, microscopic sized creatures, right? That they have, you know, they have found dried up, and you know, basically they they rehydrate them and they come back to life, right? So these things, I don't know if they have been found on. I think they were found on maybe on on some meteorites that that landed and had them on there. I don't know, maybe no, no, that's. I think that would be. No, no, that, that has definitely not happened because if it was, then that would be confirmation that there are aliens out in the world. But I don't know where they found them or who discovered them or whatever, but these are tiny little creatures that seem to be resistant to extreme cold and resistant to extreme dryness, right? So they can be revived after hundreds of years or you know, they can be revived after being frozen, right? So, in theory, they could survive in outer space, right? Which means that there could have been a creature at some stage, you know, like millions of years ago, that uh, a little creature that might have, you know, basically uh, gone into this hibernation mode on a piece of rock. That is floating through the universe and somehow landed on planet Earth, and that could have been revived when it was um, reintroduced to some moisture, and that could have been well, that could have been the very first living creature on Earth. It's possible. I mean, that theory is called panspermia. Um, it's possible that. That we all originated from creatures like that. So in some way, we could be, we could all be the children of aliens. Yeah, but you know, maybe if you know, if you believe this, um, you know, this um, theory that alien visitors have been arriving to Earth, and you know, I think the um, Sumerians believe that. Um, who was it? Uh, the Nibiru. The Nibiru race was visiting Earth and enslaving humanity to, to mine for gold. You know, like there could have been some something like that going on in the past, where intelligent alien civilizations visited the Earth, created human beings, or you know, genetically modified chimpanzees to turn us into uh, Homo sapiens, and um, you know, work as a slave labor force. I don't know. Um, you know, it's just the theory. Who's to say that it's not possible? I mean, it's possible. It's what we would be doing if we had the technology to visit other planets, um, you know, find some basic life forms and make them, you know, modify them to be a little bit smarter so that they could actually, um, I don't know, work behind the counter in McDonald's. Um, so, um, yeah. 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 Um, when I see sad displays like uh, that guy whimpering today at the bus, um, it makes me feel a little bit, I don't know, alienated, yeah, from the rest of them, from the rest of people. Yeah, because I could never be that. So, uh, yeah, but man, those teenagers, man, I was so, so angry at them, right? Because every second was counting at that stage, you know? The bus driver rejected the bogan. The bogan was whimpering, 
right? He could have lashed out at anyone at that stage, right? So I just wanted the bus to drive away, right? And I think now looking back on it, the bus driver is to blame as well. Um, the, when the bus driver saw the guy whimpering, he should have just closed the doors and taken off. You know, if the teenagers didn't have the money on them, I don't care, right? He should have, you know, just given them a free ride. Um, because when you have a grown man acting like a little boy, right, he's capable of anything. I mean, that's someone who's unhinged. Um, he had no money, right? He was basically. He looked bad in front of his woman, which is a special kind of humiliation, right? And he lost it. He lost it. At that moment, he was not a man. He lost it. He was whimpering, right? He was whimpering because the bus driver told him to get off the bus because he didn't have enough money. So he failed as a man in so many ways. So anyway, that's that, that was the bus ride to work this morning. Um, I hope that it's not that exciting next time I go to work. Uh, tomorrow morning. So let's see what else. All right. Speaking of buses, I want to talk about my brother throwing me under the bus. All right. So um, my brother, who's back in Brisbane, right, was helping my mother basically get rid of a few things that are stored in her garage. Now, um, yeah, over the years, I've collected a few things, and when I got the job in Canberra, I had to leave a lot of my things behind in Brisbane. Right, so I put a lot of my things in boxes and put the boxes in my mother's garage. She has plenty of space. She only has one car in that garage, and that garage has two, you know, space. Excuse me, space for two cars. So, um, you know, my mother will be moving into a new place in a few months, and um, my brother was there to get rid of a few things, so she wouldn't have to take them with her. So. Um, out of the blue, my brother sends me a message, or actually tries to call me, I couldn't talk at the time, so I didn't answer. Then he sent me a message saying, um, I'm cleaning up mom's garage, um, um, is there anything that you want to keep? All right. So that sent alarm bells in my head. All right. I left a few boxes there because I couldn't decide what to throw away. All right. Some of the things I actually want to keep, but you know, everything that was there is there for a reason. I was not prepared to get rid of a lot of things that are there. So um, I wrote back to my brother, um, keep all my shit. I will be in Brisbane in a few months and I will you know, decide what I throw away. And uh, then later on that day, I get a message from my mother, not an SMS, actually an email, right? Saying um, that she was very upset about the language that I used. Um, my brother and uh, that is not the way I was raised and my my father and my grandfather would be spinning in their graves all right so my brother somehow for some reason for whatever reason passed on my message word for word saying keep my shit all right I don't know why I don't know maybe he was a bit frustrated all right um, I wrote a message back to my brother saying, um, yeah, mom's very upset. Yeah, uh, thanks for throwing me out of the bus. Um, is that the way you were raised? All right. So um, he wrote back saying that he might have, you know, um, he might have passed on the message word for word. I, I don't know how. I didn't delve into it. Right. But 
I don't know whether he showed the message that I sent him or he told her, which is even worse. Like, why would my brother say that? In my family, we don't swear. You know, it's like, um, you know, my mother is right. You know, my my father was and like Greeks swear a lot. You know, Greek is a very um, vulgar language in some ways. Like, you know, if you're having a casual conversation with somebody, you can throw in so many swear words. You know, you can you can swear on television in Greece. It's like people don't get bothered because it's you know those words express something you know and they have a lot of old phrases that you know might sound very vulgar when you translate them but in my family we were not like that right and maybe that has to do with my mother not being raised in Greece you know like my mother was raised in Australia she lived in Australia she grew up in Australia and um, my father was from Greece so I don't know maybe maybe that has something to do with it because you know being an outsider to Greece, my mother might have been, you know, a little bit timid, relatively timid compared to the people there. So, you know, when I hear Greeks talking with one another, I hear a lot of swearing. Um, and, you know, anyway, in my family, we didn't just swear. You know, in other families, I've heard it, you know, but when I say swearing, I don't mean in an aggressive manner, you know, to you know, offend one another, it's, you know, more like, you know, that's the vocabulary a lot of people use, you know, and it's not necessarily a bad thing when people use that vocabulary, like in English, you know, when you're talking with your friends, you swear all the time, a lot of people do. So, I don't know what my brother was thinking, um, but he passed the word for word. Um, I thought it was a bit funny, I mean, I didn't, actually it didn't respond to my mother, you know, because it's one of those things where, you know, she's clearly upset, you know, she was upset when she wrote the email, um, but I didn't want to encourage it in any way. So um, I think that's that's a good way to deal with certain problems. You know, you, if you offend some, you know, it, sometimes it's let, it's best to leave things as they are and uh, move on, you know, and then you find that the other person moves on as well, you know. If you sit there and overanalyze something and, you know, express regret and, you know, apologize for it and, you know, try to explain why you did this thing that was wrong and, you know, that, that seems to escalate and create a bigger issue or, you know, just make the issue seem that much more important. Um, so anyway, overall, I think I had the, the right attitude and I think I handled that pretty well, even though my brother threw me under the bus. Um, which he had no cause to do. I don't know, maybe maybe I wasn't very helpful when I told him not to touch anything. Um, but yeah, yeah, I thought, I thought that was interesting yesterday. I'm going to have another drink. My throat is getting rather dry. Okay, so that's two things off the list. Ah, okay, so... Um, The night before, I went to the gym. All right, so, um, uh, oh, okay. Um, let me just say, never use or buy any impulse gym equipment, right? Because they're dangerous. And I say that because uh, I'm a jogger. I like to get on the treadmill and jog. And in my gym, there are three impulse treadmills all right so um, one of them 
has some issue where I think it's in miles per hour instead of kilometers per hour. In Australia, we use kilometers. Um, so, you know, compared to the other two, when you put in a certain speed, it's just, you know, it's off. It doesn't, it doesn't match the speeds of the other, you know, the same digits on the other two machines. But the machine that I got on, um, it constantly comes up with error messages, right? And when it does, it does this. Oh, oh, it does this constant beeping, which is very annoying. There's no on-off switch on the machine, so you actually have to power down. But of course, to, to reach the power plugs, you have to kneel in front of the machine that's in the middle. So it's a mess. It's like it's it's a very unreliable machine. But because there are only three treadmills, there's not much choice. Much choice there. So um, anyway, I got on this treadmill where. Basically, that's the one that constantly comes up with an error message. Now, it seemed to be working fine. Well, actually, it was showing the error message, so I reset it. I found some way to actually stop it, and I started running on it. Right, so um, I was actually running next to this woman who's in my building, um, who every time I'm running next to her, I I don't stop running until after she has finished and left, right? And I don't know if that's kind of like, I don't know, it's like the guy in me is feeling too, too, I don't know, maybe it's like one of those dumb guy things where I don't want to look weak in front of her. So it's like, you know, I want to just keep going to outlast her just to prove that I'm stronger and can endure for longer just you know to uh, prove my worth as a potential mate or something it's like like I said one of those dumb guy things right but like I'm glad every time she's there because that motivates me to actually jog a lot longer than I typically jog right I mean I remember months ago uh, she was jogging next to me I didn't want to stop before she did and I ended up running for over an hour right and that was from going from running for 20, for 20 minutes every time I went to the gym to running a full hour, right? So just because she was there, right? So like, yes, it's dumb, right? I, I can't fully explain it. It's one of those things that, you know, maybe a guy can understand, but, you know, women can't really understand the thinking there because it's just so futile. I mean, it's ridiculous, you know, it's not like, She'll see me running for an hour and then, you know, take her top off and say, take me, George, take me. You know, that never happens. Not even in movies. But, um, you know, it's, it's good. It's like it's motivating to have an attractive woman, attractive woman in the gym because it just makes you perform so much better. You know, it's good for the body to actually push yourself. Um, as dumb as it might be, you know, I mean, you know, look, people motivate themselves to lose weight, all right? Now, what's sillier that, you know, you're going to go to the gym three times a week, lift a few weights, go on the treadmill, go on the exercise bike and hope that you lose weight or that you push yourself to run further than you have before because it might, might, and I underline might and put it in italics, it might impress this woman that you're attracted to. I mean, they're both pretty superficial and silly reasons, but they get the job done, don't they? I mean, you know, if you want to lose weight, maybe that motivates you to keep going to the gym, you know? If you want to um, impress somebody, you just run 
on the treadmill until she stops. <laughs> so anyway, um, so I'm next to her. So I think, all right, well, you know, all right, I've been running 20 minutes at night every time I come here. So all right, I'm getting ready to run for an hour if I have to. So I start running and about, about two or three minutes into it, the treadmill just stops. Right? It just comes to a full stop. It doesn't gradually come to a stop. It just comes to a stop. Right. So at that stage, I'm still, you know, I'm not tired or anything. So I can actually catch it and I don't fall over. But when I get on the treadmill, I don't walk, I run. Right. So man, it's only a matter of time before either I or somebody else has an accident on that treadmill. So just for that, I'm going to give the opposite of a plug to impulse. Right, who make crappy treadmills? Right, that have probably killed people in the past. Right, um, if you're running and your treadmill just suddenly stops, right, that can very easily lead to an accident. Right, so Impulse, uh, probably one of the worst gym equipment brands that you can invest in. Don't ever buy an Impulse treadmill; they're unreliable. Um, I even see with other gym equipment that there are problems, right? They're all impulse machines. Um, the exercise bikes that we have two in the gym that I use, and one doesn't feel the same as the other. Like, you know, when, when I'm pedaling on one, it just doesn't feel as smooth as the other one, right? So that's impulse as well. Impulse are crap, don't ever buy them, um, avoid them. If you know, if you have a choice between an impulse machine and something else, avoid the impulse, right? Because um, it, it will probably, you know, at least injure me at some point. And I, I have let management know about this issue and they still haven't fixed it. So, um, yeah, so that was it. That was the gym, All right? So um, that's what happened. So after about three minutes, the machine crapped out, came to a stop. Um, so um, I went. I got off that machine, I was going to go on the other side of that woman and use the other treadmill and at that precise moment this guy was getting on it so I couldn't run on the treadmill. It's actually this guy that I find incredibly annoying at the gym, alright, because he gets on the treadmill machine. I know this is a bit of a tangent but bear with me. This guy gets on the treadmill and he holds on to the, um, the sides of the treadmill Right, the handlebars, right, and he actually steps on a bit of plastic that that's at the top of the, um, you know, the the floor part of the um, the treadmill, right, and that makes his shoes squeak with every step that he takes, right. So this guy is using the machine in such a way that he's constantly squeaking, right, and in the past I've I've run on one treadmill next to him, right, and he got on, he started doing that. And I asked him to stop it, and he, to his credit, he did that one time, right? But this time, a few days ago, he got on, he started squeaking again. Incredibly annoying. Um, man, some people just have this lack of self-awareness, right? Either I don't know if it's so. I don't know if it's a lack. I mean, I've, I've heard Anthony Burris, the uh, comedian, talk about it. You know, some people have lack of self-awareness right but i don't know if it's a lack of self-awareness or hyper self-awareness like where they're so aware of themselves that they need the attention of other people 
you know, and they act out and they do things like make the shoes squeak just so that they are heard and acknowledged by the people around them. And maybe that, that has to do with some kind of anxiety, maybe it has to do with uh, an insecurity where they, they constantly need to be watched. I mean, I don't know, uh, you know, I mean, it's possible that someone like that did not get enough attention from his parents growing up, right? And now he grew up to be this needy adult human being, right, who has to constantly draw attention to himself by making his shoes squeak at the gym, right? Because he's trying to fill that void left by his parents, right? So it's just a theory, you know, but when people, I think when people are irritating and, you know, act out in ways like this, uh, I'm entitled to um, psychoanalyze them. I mean, yeah, I don't think I'm crossing any lines there because those people are very comfortable crossing my lines, right? I don't want to hear some guy squeaking when I'm at the gym, but that's the way that goes. So, you know, I can, I can theorize to my, um, my listeners that that guy's parents failed him in some way, right? So um, anyway, that's not even what I want to talk about at the gym. What I want to talk about is that after the treadmill, all right, the treadmill wasn't an option, so um, I've got a backup and that's the exercise bike, right? So for the last few weeks, I've been doing treadmill 20 minutes, um, lifting weights for maybe 10 to 15 minutes and then 10 minutes on the exercise bike, right? And the reason why I do that, oh, excuse me, um, you know, of course, you know, if, if you're into exercise and gym, you say, you know, that's, that's a waste of time. You're doing too much cardio. You're not lifting enough. You know, you're not going to grow any muscles that way. You're not burning enough calories. And I know, I know. But because there are only three treadmills at my gym and because one of them is shitty and constantly breaks down and comes to a full stop sometimes like it did a few nights ago, uh, I've got to have a backup plan. So the backup plan is the exercise bike. Now the first time I used the exercise bike, I felt so sore after afterwards because I don't, I didn't typically exercise those muscles that are necessary for pedaling. So um, I've been doing 20 minutes treadmill and 10 minutes exercise bike to actually exercise those muscles in case I don't have the option of the treadmill I can get on the exercise bike and do 20 minutes there so that's what I did that night so I got on the exercise bike I uh, pedaled for 20 minutes and while I was there you know at first there was um, this skinny guy next to me that, that was using the other exercise bike right so as soon as I got on board he was finishing up and then he um, started doing some weights right now this guy had an iPad with him. I think maybe it was an iPad mini, maybe it was um, you know, a Samsung device um, the same size as an iPad mini. It was a tablet. <clears throat> okay, so he's got his headphones plugged into that. Now in those 20 minutes I reckon the guy was looking at his iPad more than he was lifting weights. And, you know, that's something that I've been noticing more and more at the gym. It's like, all these people come to the gym, 
they bring their phones and iPads and most of the time they're just you know either playing games or you know reading something on their devices but not not really doing exercises you know they just come to the gym to hang out and um, browse their phone and tablets yeah which is a little bit selfish because um, you know we're all sharing that equipment if you're not there to exercise you're taking up space right that I could use to um, exercise you know but it really impressed me that you know <laughs> he had a tablet with him I mean this guy took it to the next level most people bring a phone this guy had a tablet all right and you know he was like looking down on the tablet and then lying back on on um, you know on this um, what do you call it a seat or whatever a bench you know for lifting weights and he actually lifted his iPad to be in his field of vision so he was watching a movie yeah <laughs> when he should have been lifting weights like isn't that ridiculous I mean come on people you know yeah I get it all right I like to listen to music when I'm at the gym all right I love um, actually I bought an Apple watch all right and with the Apple watch you can actually store music in the watch and um, listen to it through Bluetooth headphones right so the Bluetooth headphones synchronize with the Apple watch so then there's no need for me to bring an iPhone or an iPod to the gym right and there are no cables as well which is even better you know so I love the Apple watch for the gym for that reason it actually has a few apps that run on it um, that are good for exercise as well so um, when I'm running on the treadmill it can actually um, count the distance that I've yeah, virtually jogged and um, it can even go into um, you know like um, cycling mode as well so you can keep track of how many kilometers I do I don't know how that works I mean I understand the um, I you know you can measure footsteps on the treadmill but with the exercise bike it's like how does it know you know at what level I'm pedaling I mean I could be taking it easier or I could you know be pedaling with the most amount of pressure um, so anyway look you know it's it's good for the gym um, and it's very discreet you know and it's not distracting because once I start playing music on it all right I don't have to look at anything all right there's no screen there to browse the internet and you know play um, I don't know what are, what are the kids playing nowadays Angry Birds yeah that's that's, that's a bit dated that reference um, so um, yeah man these people who come to the gym right they bring their phones they're taking up space and they're just you know looking down on this little screen instead of exercising and sweating it out I mean yeah a lot of women do that as well um, especially on the um, the exercise bikes and the the treadmills yeah so I don't know it's like you know I look I hope that as a civilization we can move past the phone right because it just seems so compulsive the way that people use it and I'm guilty of this as well I've got to say I'm I'm completely compulsive when it comes to um, checking Facebook um, and even worse, Tinder. 
Tinder is so compulsive. It's like they designed this thing that gets you hooked on the I don't know the thrill of the thrill of looking at attractive girls and expressing your desire for them. It's like and the content just keeps on coming. It's like there are always more pictures to swipe right, more pictures, more pictures, and it's like you know it it feels a little bit. Well, it's like like a game, isn't it? It's like you know, you keep swiping right to win. You know, you keep swiping right, and um, maybe you'll get to the bonus stage. You know, I mean, it is. You know, there was a word going around in marketing circles called gamification. Right, that's what it is. It's like the gamification of online dating. Right, only in my case, there is no dating whatsoever coming from Tinder, but still, it's like. You know, they, they just tapped into that that impulsive behavior, you know. So, yeah, it's like, I hope that we can move past the mobile phone because it just seems like such a distraction nowadays. It seems like a disengagement from the world around you, you know. And you can see that, you know, you get on a bus and everybody's looking down on their phone screen. It's like, you know, a few people might actually be looking up because they're listening to music coming from their phone as well. I mean, that's that's the way that I use it nowadays. So um, at some point in the future, we're just going to move beyond it. I mean, it's a phone. You know, you you, you know you you're selling a phone to people. You're selling phone plans, right? So if you can actually change the way that people communicate with one another, maybe people will, you know, see the smartphone as something that is unnecessary um, you know maybe at some point we'll have some augmented reality solution that that makes it possible to do FaceTime with somebody you know just by saying all right call Bill you know and they have Bill appearing in your field of vision and you can have a conversation with him and he can see you and you can see him you know if you can wear glasses that give you that functionality and they work independently of the phone, then maybe you stop using phones then. Um, so anyway, look, I, I, I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll get past it. I mean, you know, it might be one of those, might be one of those things that really date the decade that we're living in or the decades that we're living in. So. You know, the same way that you could look at, you know, like, um, I don't know, horses in the 1800s, like every family with a bit of wealth had a horse, right? You know, because that was the way you would move around your property and if you had a farm or that's the way you would go into town. I mean, but at some point people stopped using horses because they had the alternative means of transport. And mobile phones could be the same. In a few decades, we could look back on it, and you know, if you see a picture of someone with a mobile phone, you would say, "Oh, yeah, that was somebody living in maybe the the year 2010, maybe no, not 2010, 2020, yeah, 2010, maybe." I mean, smartphones haven't been around that long, you know. But it's just incredible how widespread their use has become. At least in my part of the world. I mean, I live in a Western nation. Um, 
you know, people have a bit of money, we've got phone plans, we've got good coverage. Um, so everyone has a smartphone. Yeah. So anyway, that's it's um well it's like a quarter past one at night. Um, but I'm not stopping now. No way. I've talked about the gym, talked about the uh, bogan freaking out. Um, I've talked about the brother throwing me under the bus. I've talked about Soul Cartel. Okay, so let's add a little bit more to that. Ah, my latest obsession. My latest obsession. I don't know. Maybe obsession is a strong word. Uh, who do you want to talk about? The ex porn star or the video game? All right, I'm going to start with the video game because I, I think I gave you enough information to keep you interested, uh, to listen through the boring bit if you're not into video games so that you can listen to what I have to say about the X-Porn star. But at my, my latest obsession, other than Soul Cartel, is um, a video game called Xenoblade Chronicles X for the Wii U. Now this game came out mid-December last year. Um, I took the Wii with me to Brisbane where I visited for a couple of weeks. I was playing it a lot there. I was playing it every day. Um, and since coming back I've continued to play the game. But I'm so hooked on the game. It's a role-playing game. It's uh, You're playing, you know, like you're playing a member of the human civilization who escaped the destruction of Earth and landed on this alien planet. All right, so um, the planet is, you know, is thriving with all these creatures. It's like it's a little bit like the world from Avatar, um, but you know, most of the creatures are just gigantic, and uh, there's so many different types of creatures on it. So a lot of it is just exploring the landscape and. Of course, humanity is not the only intelligent, you know, force on that planet. So uh, you also have to contend with the aliens who attacked Earth and with different alien races who are also on the planet. So it's a very deep game. It's massive. I'm close to 100 hours of playtime through it, and I probably have another 100 at least. Um, but man, I've been playing this game for so long now. And I look forward to playing it. I actually didn't play it today, but I meant to. I recorded a podcast instead. But um, yeah, this game has just got me hooked now because, you know, it's it's like there's so much repetition in the game. That's how role-playing games are. You have to constantly find battles to take part in because that actually increases the level of your character and it gives you, um, you know, loot drops, as it's called. So you get all these items which you can use to, um, you know, complete other missions, complete missions, or create certain items. So um, it's very deep, but there's this pattern to the game where it's like you know you're constantly, you know, killing things, getting items for them, then going back to kill some more to get more items and get more experience and constantly raise the level of your character. And I'm hooked. I'm hooked. I I I can't. Picture myself playing another game right now. All right, not that I play games that much. I mean, I like listening to podcasts about video games, and I used to love reading about them as well. Actually, I still read the you know the news on the internet about video games, but I used to read a magazine. Um, 
but I don't play them that much. Right? But this game, I have been playing it a lot. A hundred hours is a long time to put into a game, but you know, this is the kind of game that demands it. And um, yeah, it's like I'm I'm really enjoying it. Right, I'm enjoying progressing through the game and figuring stuff out. But yeah, that's that's my that's one of my latest obsessions. But um, anyway, anyway, that's you know it's it's something that I enjoyed doing, and you know I've always been into video games. Um, okay, all right, let me talk about the X pawns there now. A few days ago, I read this story on the BBC News. It was about this interview that went badly. Um, on maybe it was the I don't know if there's an uh, an Indian version of CNN, like a subsidiary of CNN in India, right? But it was a CNN station that uh, interviewed this film star, right? This uh, Bollywood film star, who is uh, I think she was raised in Canada, Indian woman, who made a career for herself in porn, right? So um, her name is Sunny Leon. Um, she's one of the most searched porn stars in the world. I think in the, um, the, the survey that I saw, the article that I read, um, she was something like fifth or sixth most searched porn star. Right? So she has a body of work. She made a big name for herself uh, making porn in, in America. Um, and, you know, she's absolutely gorgeous. I mean, you know, I've realized that beautiful Indian women um, are so attractive because they're so angular, right? It's like they, they have this symmetry, like when, a, when an Indian woman is beautiful, it's like she has a certain symmetry of and very, very sharp angles in the face structure as well. So that makes them extremely attractive. I mean, I find that very attractive. like. The, the, the so angular as well. It's like the very angular in the face structure. It's um, very beautiful. She's um, Sunny Leon is a little bit more curvy as well, um, which I still appreciate. You know, like she's very beautiful. Um, but anyway, look, I, I found out about her through this BBC um, BBC articles about this interview that she was doing on one of the CNN channels and. Um, Basically, the interviewer was um, trying to guilt her into apologizing for her porn career, and she wasn't having any of it. She was actually very composed, and um, you know, she she held her own against this interviewer. Um, you know, she gave very thoughtful answers. She was not apologetic about her her previous career and. And uh, she held her own, which which actually, um, you know, it made people respect her a lot. You know, so uh, the interview looked very bad afterwards because he was a little bit like he was accused of being maybe condescending or you know very uh, judgmental, right? Which which is always bad when you know you see an interview like that and the interviewer is you know coming to it with an agenda, right? So. You know, this guy was interviewing um, an ex-porn star, and um, he was doing it in a way where he was trying to get her to apologize or to express some regret for that. You know, because um, basically the reason he was interviewing her because is because she had a new movie coming out, 
uh, this uh, sex comedy, um, but you know, pretty mainstream, a pretty mainstream Bollywood movie, right? So she seems to have made a successful transition from being an adult film star into a, a mainstream actress in Bollywood, um, which is great for her. I mean, you know, like I don't see any reason why she should not be. Um, I think it's, you know, I think it's a, overall it's a good thing for Indian culture, and that's a pretty wide umbrella. I realize that. I mean, you know, India has a lot of cultures living in it, but for Indian people, I think it's actually a good thing because, you know, even though, you know, most conservative people might not approve of her being, you know, finding this uh, mainstream success and acceptance. I mean, that must really irritate a few people the same way that, you know, porn actresses crossing over into mainstream TV shows and films kind of, um, you know, makes a few people not upset, but, you know, kind of express some, some kind of disapproval, right? But in Sunny Leon's case, I think it's a good thing because she actually promotes the she promotes Indian beauty, right? Um, which is a niche, right? I mean, you know, that's you, we don't see a lot of Indian models and Indian actresses in mainstream mainstream content, right? But with more people like her out there, more people of like being known for well she was known for porn i mean she's probably still mainly known for her porn but it's like a lot of people you know get exposed to how beautiful indian women are and that makes that creates mainstream acceptance of you know indian women to work in mainstream productions you know and of course you know in, in western nations there are large indian populations Right, the South, I think the term is South Asian. But I think Sunny Leon's success, you know, crossing over from Western porn to Indian Bollywood films, I think it's good. So it's like, kind of like, I don't know, like, I feel really happy for her because, you know, I think she has brought a lot of joy to a lot of people. Right through you know her earlier career, and now she's kind of like she's in this position where basically people are expressing support for her, you know, and kind of like saying, "Hey, it's not cool to actually you know be judgmental towards a woman who has had the freedom to make her own choice to you know to to have this career in porn." It's like, who are you just because you're working in CMN? Who are you to look down on someone like that and to talk down to her? You know, like that's not on, which is good because it's a little bit empowering. I mean, you know, I know that's the narrative that every porn star puts out there. It's like, you know, I do this because it's it's empowering and, you know, like I'm in control of my sexuality and all that. But, um, you know, it's not always authentic. But I think in, in this case, I think it is. You know, I think it's... It's good that someone like her can kind of progress. You know, I think progress is 
is the right word here. It's, you know, she progressed from, well, basically, you know, she put herself out there as a pawn commodity. All right. And, you know, she made a lot of people in the West aware that, you know, Indian women are beautiful too, and they should be in our magazines, and they should be in our TV shows and our movies, and we have a long way to go before we actually get to a level where the number of actresses that we see in mainstream content and models reflect the actual population levels of those people. Right? And I think that that should be a goal for every multicultural society um, or multi-ethnic society. I think you know the media should reflect the people in it. You know, it's um, uh, it's something that that a lot of U.S. shows get criticized for. I don't think they get the ratios right every time. I mean, it's not always uh, about a ratio of you know, like you've got to have ten percent of blacks if ten percent of the population is black. But it shouldn't be the exception where you see you know Asian characters and Indian characters and black characters and Jewish characters and European characters in your shows. I mean, if that's what your population is like, that's what your you know your your fictional characters should be. You know, and I think I think in England they do that very well. I mean, looking at British shows. All right, I see a lot more diversity in British TV dramas and comedies than I do in, in American shows, right, in US shows. Right? And I think that's because the English are more realists, you know, like um, they don't shy away from realistic depictions of life, you know, and their communities. So um, kudos to them. But anyway, look, Sunny Leone, beautiful woman. Um, I'm very happy that you know she can actually progress on to doing something other than porn because I imagine that after a few years, um, you know, like porn stars have a limited time that they can do that kind of work. And I'm glad that she has found not only you know like a new career in Bollywood, right? She made that transition from Western porn to you know, Indian mainstream movies, but she also found a level of acceptance and support, which is even more important because, you know, it's one thing for her to do one or two movies and, you know, have a few people griping about, you know, her being there and taking jobs away from real actresses. But, you know, from, I actually followed her on Twitter and, you know, people seem to be, Pretty supportive of her, you know, and that makes me feel good about her, you know, because it's good. It's good to see that, you know, people can actually make that transition happen. You know, people can move on to better things. I mean, I assume this is better for her. I mean, you know, she's married now and, you know, she's living in India, I believe. Well, actually, I'm, I'm assuming that she's living in India now, but um, I know that she used to live in Canada. But anyway, look, Sunny Leon is a beautiful woman, and I'm just so happy for her that you know she actually made that transition, and more importantly, got the support that people in her position need, 
right? And she does move because it takes a lot of balls to actually make, not just do porn, but actually try to, try to gain mainstream acceptance, right? And she did that. And, um, you know, it's good to, it's good to see a woman tackling, I don't know if it's chauvinism that, that made the reporter conduct the interview the way he did, but, you know, that kind of judge, judgmental attitude. It's like, it's good to see someone confront that and come out looking better for it. All right, so um, that's Sunny Leon, my favorite Canadian Indian porn actress. Um, and now mainstream actress. By the way, I saw the trailer for her recent, or for her new film. I think it's a comedy about two twins. She plays twins. One of them is very shy. The other one is very, you know, sultry and sexy. And actually, they're both pretty sexy in their own way. Um, but yeah, it's um, it seems like a pretty cheesy comedy. I think, you know, from my little experience with it. Indian cinema seems a little bit behind the times like um, uh, this movie it, it seemed like uh, it was I don't know maybe it's got modern day visuals but it has the sensibilities of a 1980s teen comedy right so um, I think Indian cinema I don't know, it's, it's, they catered to a different market than Western cinema. So, you know, if people love that kind of cheesiness that was on display in the trailer, good on them, you know. But, you know, it's, I, I find it very hard to get into um, Indian cinema because just most of it just seems so ridiculous and yeah, a little bit vulgar sometimes, you know, like it, this, this trailer suddenly seemed a little bit vulgar, but... Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a different culture. It's not those movies are not made for people like me, and probably not for people like you either. And um, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I guess I'm I'm too spoiled from watching too many American movies, um, which I consider to be excellent. And you know, uh, Western cinema is just you know, so sophisticated. It has moved on. It actually. You know, the French, wasn't the French that invented cinema? Well, filmmaking, you know, but, but Americans have just taken it to another level. But, um, yeah, I have watched Indian movies before. I think I saw, years ago, I saw a remake of Scarface in Hindi, right? So, um, you know, it was like, I didn't, I didn't know it at the time that I started watching it, but it was actually Scarface in Hindi. So, um that was interesting because um, at some point they they seem to have these musical interludes which which didn't you know segue very smoothly from the previous scenes but yeah that's normal in India cinema having musical interludes um, so uh, I think that that covers everything on the list Let's see food truck brother Chronicles uh, guide on the bus, Jim and Sunny Leon. That's everything. All right, so I think we have a webcast. Right? Um, extra large edition of the I Should Say podcast. It is actually the uh, 3rd of um, February 2016 now. All right, I started in 
on the 2nd of February and I ended it on the 3rd of February. So um, it's not a good idea to record podcasts in the middle of the night. I probably don't sound um, as energetic as I should be. But um, anyway, look, thanks for listening. It's been fun talking to you. And uh, I'll do it again in a few days. All right, so um, take care of yourself. And um, if you're over in Canberra, check out Soul Cartel. If you're over in Brisbane, check out Pizza Land and Piccolo Pizza. Uh, if you're over in the gym, avoid the Impulse gym equipment. And um, if you're ever searching for porn, look up Sunny Leon. All right, all right, and with that, that's the end of the podcast. All right, thanks for listening. Take care. Bye.